Hello and welcome to Living in a Time of Dying, the podcast about living in a time of global pandemic, social upheaval and injustice, climate catastrophe, and mass extinction. This podcast is a companion to the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, co-authored by myself and Taoist mystic, Toltec I Ching master, wisdom teacher, and my dear friend, William Douglas Horden. I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk, a writer, philosopher, soul mentor, perpetual student, and mother of possums. In this podcast, I and my guests will engage with a selection of chapters from the book to explore the questions, the conundrums, paradox, and fractal edges of this thing called living. This is an invitation to commune and feel together the weight of these times with all the grief, rage, love, and hope that it arouses within us so that together we may dream a new world into being. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the first official episode of the Living in a Time of Dying podcast. I'm here with my dear friend, Che Broadnax, but before we introduce you, Che, and get into it, I'd like to offer a brief summary of the chapter we'll be discussing today. We're going to be talking around and in and through and about chapter two of the book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope. Chapter two is titled, Becoming Worthy of Survival. And in this chapter, I diagnose the current crises of climate collapse and social inequity, and I problematize the rational thinking function that seeks to divide and pit binary opposites in a relationship of resistance, conflict, and ultimately war, in contrast to the imaginal feeling function, which acknowledges a broader relationship of caring interdependent reciprocity, and invites us to respond imminently to the present moment, and hopefully to the crises of our time. We are not separate from one another or the Earth ecosystem upon which we depend for our survival. And yet we in the modern westernized world have been taught an individualist ethic of survival of the fittest, which rationalizes not only competition and supremacies between humans, but extractive exploitation of the land as well. Such an orientation to others in the world is killing us, literally. So, I argue, we need a new ethic of care and belonging, not only in order to survive, but for us to thrive. So, with that, hi, Che. Welcome to Living in a Time of Dying podcast. Thank you, Megan. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) So for our listeners, you know, this is our first podcast, my first podcast here and my first podcast with Che, but I've known Che, we've known each other for almost 20 years now. I don't think we need to go into all of the, spill all of the beans, but um, it's, we've done a lot of, I would say, well, I'll speak for myself. I have done a lot of growing through our relationship. I've learned a lot about myself and the world. And I've just been deeply enriched. My life has been deeply enriched by my friendship with you over these last 20 years. And so I'm really, really glad to be doing this first episode with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel like yeah. you're kind of like my my safety blanket here a little bit. Training wheels, absolutely. Training wheels, yeah. You're helping me with my training wheels, and I so appreciate it. But just to introduce you to our audience, um, how would you? I'm just going to invite you to introduce yourself and anything that you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about you. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Che and I use he, they pronouns. I hail currently from the unceded uh, ancestral territories of the Lenape peoples. Sometimes people call this Brooklyn, New York. That's where I'm at. I am. <laughs> it's so hard. With you. Uh, describe yourself. Give a bio because yes. it's like, yeah, what do yes. I, I don't know. Redu- I reduce 40. yourself to uh, <laughs> uh, a one liner. Go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, if, if you go to the Internet, then it might describe me as a facilitator, a storyteller, an energy worker, a street medic. An abolitionist, a freedom dreamer, an MC, a filmmaker, and I'm really trying to get this uh, this temporally displaced griot thing going. Um, yeah, I don't even. I'm I'm gonna confess that I don't even necessarily know what that last part means, but I'm really <laughs> excited to find out. Sure. So, um, thank you and welcome, and it's so good to know you in this space. I also want to kind of start these podcast episodes with just a brief check-in with my guests, which I know can be hard because, you know, there's a lot. Um, And, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about belonging, we're talking about survival. And I guess I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing in this kind of, how, how are you in this moment of apocalypse? If I may throw out that term. Well, it's, it's always a, a, how am I right in this moment? Uh, I am doing pretty well. I, uh, I just landed a teaching gig for next year, which is of just the utmost excitement to me. Like, yay. Uh, so exciting. Congratulations. What else? Uh, it's uh, big things are happening in the stars from what I understand with planets and whatnot. So it seems like it's a time (laughs) of transition for me anyway. uh, I just finished a draft of the second installment of a three-part space hip hopera that I've been working on for, at this point, just ever, forever. So yeah, lots of things are happening. I'll just say that, you know, it's been really beautiful to watch you really hold the line of your integrity and advocate for yourself, um, you know, in relationship to your day job, but also, and what's been going on with that, but also just in terms of how you've been living your life in the last few years, um, you know, perhaps particularly since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Since you got free. (laughs) And uh, it's really, it's inspiring to me. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, eh, lots of people in New York City uh, discovered some, uh, (laughs) discovered a lot of things about themselves and their lives during the pandemic. 
So I will say for myself, for my own check-in, um, you know, I've, I've been noticing this really kind of bizarre juxtaposition. It, it feels like, like really holding contradiction in myself because in, in one way, I feel so good. You know, I'm in a, in a place, in a house and in a geographical location where that I really love and I wake up and I'm like, oh, I get to be in this space and it feels really, really good to be here. And I'm knitting myself into back into, in many ways, a really loving community. And, you know, I, I'm officially in my 40s, which also feels like I've, I've reached this sort of like level of gravitas <laughs> where I can just kind of be like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, um, yeah like kind of let some things go, let some things hang out, feels really good. And then at the same time, like literally in the same moment, as if like I would close, I would, if I close one eye, I'm like sitting in that, in that really good, like nourishing world. And in, if uh -huh. I, if I cover the other eye, I see this like, this like burning apocalypse field of like intense grief. Yes. Intense, yes, intense grief. Um, and I've been noticing just be true. Yes. Yes. Paradox as it were. Um, I've been noticing just even in the last couple few days, really sliding into scarcity mindset, mm. um, which happens, I notice, you know, I think I might talk about this a little bit more as we get into the material of this chapter, but it happens for me around um, eating and food, my relationship with food. Um you know, for my listeners, I have an autoimmune condition that causes me to have pretty chronic hypoglycemia. I'm not diabetic, but I experience hypoglycemia regularly unless I, unless I moderate it with diet, um, which makes it very important. Like it makes my eating and my relationship to food very kind of regimented. And and sometimes that gets not so fun. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. Like I have to feed myself again. Like, ugh. And, and then if I don't feed myself, I start feeling hypoglycemic. And like I'm, for anybody who's not experienced hypoglycemia, it basically kind of feels like you're hungry all the time. And sometimes in the worst of it, just you just feel like you're starving. Um, so it like really connects with that experience of scarcity. Um, so I've been having, I've been sliding a little bit into that space, which kind of feels on point for this, the topic of this <laughs> episode, which is about survival and what does survival mean and what do we do to survive, you know, like what, what is entailed in our survival and what does survival mean at this point um, in human history? And in this stage of climate change and all of that. So just to kind of open up our discussion, I wanted to ask, you know, if you have any thoughts, Che, and if you also have questions or notes that came up for you when you were reading the chapter, please interject them. Um, but just to start us off, you know, what does, what does it mean to survive? What does survival entail or require? And 
is survival enough? You know, should, should that be the goal? There's so many ways to answer that. And I'm not sure where I should start, but I'm just going to start with the quickest answer, uh, which is that Destiny's Child and Beyonce teach us that a survivor keeps on surviving. So I think that's the first thing we have to know. But when you ask the question, uh, what does it mean to survive? What does survival entail? Is survival enough? Should that even be the goal? You know, obviously, how am I not to think of Sharon Boomer Valeri speaking to, at the time, Commander Adama in Battlestar Galactica, the the 2003 Ronald D. Moore reboot. Um, Great show. (laughs) You said that humanity was a flawed creation and that people still kill one another for petty jealousy and greed. You said that humanity never asked itself why it deserved to survive. Maybe you don't. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's something I like to think about. What, what does it like? What does that mean? What like, uh, Ossie Davis, the, uh, you know, preeminent actor, the activist, the man who, read the uh, elegy at Malcolm X's funeral. Ossie Davis, in a film about (laughs) a Elvis impersonator and a mummy, uh, gives a very touching speech about bowing gracefully off of the stage and knowing when, you know, you've played your roles and it's time to just hand it over. Um... I'm not I'm not saying that as a fatalist sense because uh life finds a way. Um and I I love the array of movies that we're dealing was, with here. This is what it is, dear listeners. Welcome to Che Broadmax. Yeah. This, this is, is how his mind works. All it is is it's a beautiful just, mind. It's samples. It's just samples. Um Yeah, right? Like Survival means something different, I think, than than uh, than how we have approached it in at least this, you know, like uh, U.S. society. Um, as you were mentioning, you know, our orientation, um, well, not necessarily our orientation, but the 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 social mores of the u.s the, are the dominant orientation here at this time yeah the 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 dominance orientation even yes um yeah it's one of individualism and one of survival of individual you know like discrete units which is a you know sort of like a closed system survival um mm. thinking uh you know, and, and if there is to be any survival of those of us who are here now, uh, it certainly necessitates a transition into a systems thinking. And, and this isn't just like from like a, you know, Navi world tree sort of everything's connected way or a, 
Martin Luther King inescapable network of mutuality, everything's connected sort of way, or a Yoda, you know, the force is the energy that binds and connects everything sort of way, but really just a systems way like you there's no there's no closed systems here like if i do as as baldwin says like you can't confine a plague to one part of a city like it's mm-hmm. coming it's it's everything's connected so we know, know that so well now we know we, we learned new that. york yeah we learned that <laughs> we, the hard way we learned the shit out of it and we knew it because of course we knew it yeah you know Listening to you, and I don't want to interrupt, so tell me if I'm interrupting, but it it makes me think about how when we think about survival, we have to think more broadly. You know, like, I I think, I, 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 I open the chapter by talking about how I started to farm, right? And you remember this. You were you were you were around for this for, for this era of my life. And I started to farm and in a in a large way it was it was out of a sense of scarcity, right? It was out of a sense of, you know, food scarcity and a sense that, you know, this was back in the late aughts, and a sense that, you know, this is not sustainable, you know, the world, capitalism, growth, and it's gonna collapse at some point. And back then I didn't know if it was gonna collapse in my lifetime or not, but I knew that it required a different way of living. It required a different way for humans to be surviving. And I wanted to to try my hand at that. And I did that for about a decade. And I did it in a very individualistic way, you know, out of coming out of you know, that's the upbringing that I've been brought in. That's like the model that I've been given. And uh, it broke me. It kind of ground me into the dirt, both literally Mm. and figuratively, you know, to the point that my body just said, I can't do this anymore. You know, and I loved farming. I loved my garden. I learned so much through that process, but ultimately it was not, it was just not sustainable for me physically or spiritually or emotionally or on all of those in all of those ways. And um, my relationship to survival has changed since Mm. those early days of, you know, like wanting to survive and having the scarcity mindset. It's, it feels like it's gotten a lot softer and a lot wider to recognizing that like, I'm not going to survive what's come. Like I'm not going to survive climate change None of us are that are alive right now because it's going to go on. Like, even if we were to stop, even if we were to change everything right now today, which I wish we would, uh, this is going to have ramifications for decades to centuries. We literally don't know how this is going to play out. And it's not me and you who are going to see the end of this. You know, if humans survive, it's going to be the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. And so I kind of like gave up. I was like, oh, (laughs) what am I doing? I'm not even (laughs) going to survive this anyway, you know? And so it allowed me to, to kind of open my definition of survival that was much more inclusive, not just of myself, but of myself as you're saying, as part of a network, as part of a system, 
um, as part of a system that doesn't even exist right now, but as part of a generational system that exists through time as well. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that a big part of that survival, quote unquote, is actually about living intentionally, living with integrity, living with joy, incorporating pleasure, as uh, patron saint Adrian Marie Brown teaches us. Um, I think I said Patreon saint. You I didn't did. Mean you did. <laughs> she is I, I also support a saint her Patreon. Patreon. I do too, as well. Yeah, and and everybody should. Um, I meant to say patron saint. Apparently, I can't, just can't say that word. It's fine. But so yes, I think it. What you're saying is it breaks open this concept of survival, which the the dominance mindset has had be you know self sufficiency bootstrapping survival of the fittest is very individualistic perspective to one that is so much bigger and so much wider and incorporates so much more of who we are and why we exist like what we are here to do and to be right so it's about inflation right it's like the universe keeps expanding and our understanding of survival has to expand to and as well as our understanding of ourselves like what is a self like what is me like what do mm, yes. <laughs> like what does yep. che what does che broadnax need to survive does che can che broadnax survive just as a brain in a jar obviously not you know like that's that's a that's a zany western concept that separates mind from body separates uh crude matter from luminous <laughs> beings <laughs> um yeah uh are we just a discrete item or are we you know networks of you know things like am i only me or am I also the gut bacteria and the skin mm. creatures and the air that I breathe, you know, and the water that I drink. And if I'm the water that I drink, then when does that stop being me? Mm -hmm. And when does it start being me? You know, where does um, the body or the self begin and end? Like, where's the edge of the individual? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like our, our individuality that that is the, you know, dominance frame of uh, United States culture and so-called Western uh, society, right? Uh, even the most fundamental unit of social reproduction, the nuclear family, is being challenged as both a thing that's in any way desirable, but also in any way sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the the joke in New York used to be like, oh, yeah, couples move in together because that's how they afford rent. And now the joke is like, well, thruples and quadruples move in together because that's how you can afford rent. Um, and the reality is uh, humans have never lived in little <laughs> nuclear mm -hmm. families like these we've always lived in social groups where aunties and uncles and grandparents are uh, part of the child rearing and um you know like culturation <laughs> i don't know if mm -hmm. that's the word process um yeah and 
so survival of an individual uh, cannot occur without survival of the context of the mm-hmm. individual because there's no real succinct uh, dividing line. There's no real succinct border between the mm. individual, the individual's family, the individual's ancestors and progenitors mm-hmm. and and de- descendants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the, I was like, what are the words I'm looking for here? You know, like the ancestors, family, the ancestors, community. And, and that that expands, that that isn't just a human community, right? That right. those ancestors and descendants are also uh, part of the non-human community as well. Right, what, right, yes. What the, what the, you know, quote unquote, Western um, colonial framework considers quote unquote natural resources right right? which are actually our relatives and part of that context that that makes us who we are and is part of the becoming of our you know quote unquote survival you know as I was listening to you I was thinking back to this term this concept of scarcity and how you know I think it was when you were talking about the nuclear family this like um entitizing and 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 um bordering Right. Putting 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 people and units into borders, nations, identities, et cetera, is actually what causes this con- this this sense of scarcity, this sense of of I have to do it on my own. Um, I have to survive on my own. I have to be self-sufficient. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And there's a terror in like I'm spe- like I can feel it in my body in this moment. Like there is a absolute terror from that orientation from that framework that yeah. is not is not true it's not what we have known it's like this it's this it's new and it's really really um painful and it's really um devastating to our existence but then also to how we live in relationship with others both human and non Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, right. Like none of us are free till all of us are free. Right. Um, and I knew that you were going to say that in this podcast. Somehow I knew it <laughs> because, because there's a, I think there's a line, I don't know where it is, but somewhere in the book I write, maybe even in a couple places in the book, I write you know, something like we survive together or not at all. Right. Like yeah. either all of us are free or none of us are free. It's the same. Yeah concept yeah. yeah exactly yeah i mean it's like uh again like to go back to baldwin he says you know this is very specific to what he's talking about but not only are black people in danger but white people are too because mm. black people are in danger mm. right yes. he says you cannot have a plague in one part of the city and expect it to stay there poverty is mm. a plague grief rage and despair are plagues they create on the part of the master race, to use that phrase, a panic. And whenever the master race is panicked, it creates a pressure to keep the in his place. Mm. Thank you so much for bringing the voice of Baldwin into this space. Um, he always gives me chills. He speaks both backwards and forwards in time. Yes, he does. <laughs> in such amazing ways. Um, yeah, I think too, 
I, I don't know how far afield we're going to go with this. Um, you know, I think too about what, like who gets to survive when, when we're talking about survival, who is, who is who we're talking about, right? Because, right. you know, I, I, apocalypse, the term apocalypse has become kind of a household term now in the wake of uh, the pandemic, but also as, you know, climate chaos is becoming more and more obvious. Um, people are saying, oh, this is the apocalypse. And yet, you know, it's important to acknowledge that um, that there have been apocalypses, that, that this has been an apocalypse for, for a very long time, for hundreds right. of years. Um, and that within that larger colonial apocalypse, some people have survived and thrived while others have um, been the victims of attempted genocide. Um, that is that is still ongoing. That is still right. ongoing. Um, and, you know, it makes me think, too, of this. I remember this phrase that um, Layla Saad said in her podcast. Um, uh, I think it's A Good Ancestor. How to Be a Good Ancestor, I think, is her podcast. And she said this phrase that just echoed through my mind. She said, blackness is the agenda that saves us all. Yeah. And I, that, that statement lives in my heart, along with Baldwin saying, hope is where it's always been. It's in black people themselves. Yes. Um, which echoes very much the quote that you just, that you just read to us. And I would also add... Um, the indigenous to that site of hope as we look towards the future. Um, the indigenous, of course, being a term that comes out of the colonial history that we are inheriting together. So it's all very fraught and tied together. But I think, I guess as I'm as I'm as I'm kind of trying to to move us towards towards wrapping up this episode with an eye on the clock, um I think, you know, as you said, there's no answers here. There's no, um, we are, we are moving through this time and become being and becoming together through this time. That's really what I'm trying to do here with this podcast. I'm not telling anybody how to live, um, or counseling anyone. I really want to be with my guests and with my listeners in the complexity and the contradiction and the paradox of this time and the feeling of it, right? The grief of it, the confusion of it, the deep love for what is worth surviving, for what is worth protecting and honoring. And I think, you know, I think we've done that in this conversation today, at least in a kind of scratch the surface kind of way that that shows that there is so much more under that surface. Um, sure. I would like, yeah. And any, please jump in. Um, well, what, one of the questions we didn't really get around to addressing was the role of feeling in survival. Yes. Right? Thank you. Thank uh, you. Which, which of course is a episode all unto itself. Um, but if I, if I may, since, um, since, since we're challenged by time scarcity in this moment, I'm just going to read a passage of your work. Um, thinking is also the tool of time. It analyzes this moment from the next moment from the last moment, always anticipating an unknown future while concretizing the half-known past. 
Feeling, on the other hand, is the perceptive organ of the eternal present. What we feel is always now, imminently vital, and thus eminently adaptable. One cannot change the past nor predict the future, and thus thinking about either, while invariably captivating, is nevertheless inevitably futile. The felt present is the only reality which we have any recourse to affect. Thus it would seem that we had best embrace and allow ourselves to be embraced by, enveloped in, the feeling of this moment. Um, which is just a real long way and a, a articulate way of saying you got to feel it to heal it or maybe like you got to go through it to get through it. <laughs> One of those <laughs> things. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, every, like every other science fiction movie has someone saying, you know, like, well, I don't have time to feel. And someone else says, but feeling's the thing that separates us from them. And it's like every movie, it doesn't matter what the monsters are. They could be robots. They could be, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that that's in the, the wing commander movie which makes no sense because the alien enemy is like super fiery blooded you know they're like real passionate and like honor and you know, all that so it makes no sense in that context but we all know that feeling is somehow fundamental to our experience you know mm -hmm. and i think part of it is that it is i love that it's the perceptive organ of the eternal present and it's like, mm. we're always right now. Yeah, and what thank we're you. feeling. Oh, sorry. No, it's just thank you for, for bringing that in. You know, I think that for myself, as I've shifted out of, or I'm attempting to shift out of scarcity mindset, you know, even yesterday when I was recognizing, you know, that I'm feeling this sense of scarcity and it's related to the experience of hunger in my body, um, and then just having, being able to take the, the grace of the moment to allow myself to feel that fear, to just name it mm. and be with it and think about, you know, how to be with it on my own in my house. But also, is there somebody that I would want to reach out with and ask them to feel with me in that moment, in that experience of scarcity and fear? And I think... <sighs> I am so grateful for all of the people who are doing such amazing, good work in the world, right? Who are um, everything from being in the streets and on the front lines of, you know, who are who are protecting water and standing against pipelines, um, you know, in this country and in Africa and across the world. I'm so grateful for people who are um, engaged in, you know, policy and government processes, because I certainly do not have the patience for that <laughs> particular realm of the work. I'm so grateful for people who are doing deep care work. I'm so grateful for educators and people who are um, learning and teaching new technologies and new ways of, of being and experimenting. I'm so grateful for people who are deep in, in transformative justice work, all of these things. And a lot of those um, avenues of being active in this world are not sustainable for me physically or emotionally or mentally. And it's been challenging for me to figure out where I fit in this movement 
towards the future and this movement towards justice. And, um, and I've discovered that I think one of the places that I really long to fit myself is with other people in a space of feeling. I really want to feel whatever is present, whether that is deep grief, whether that is fear and scarcity, whether that is ecstatic joy. Um, I want to like midwife us into being able to be with our feelings more. And that includes me. I'm relearning this as well. I'm remembering my own feelings as well. Um, so yeah. So thanks for bringing that in. That's, that's where I sit with it. Yeah. Well, she has some, has some nuggets in there. Um, you invoked midwifery, midwifery, uh, which, you know, is big. Doulas are big, both birth doulas and death doulas in this time. Um, I can't help but think about uh, Nancy Fraser's The Old is Dying and the New Cannot Yet Be Born. Um, I, uh, uh, but also, you know, Arundhati Roy's Portal. Uh, mm -hmm. where we can either drag the like, bloated carcass of, you know, like uh, prisons and fascism and division and stuff through the portal, or we can step through lightly. We can uh, ease on down the road without, mm. you know, carrying things that might be a load, uh, if that rings any bells. <laughs> um and yes, this idea of ushering in a, I mean, I really do think about stepping through the portal into a new world and the new world is the same world. It's just that we opened up, uh, mm. you know, our, our spider sense better. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. I think a lot about care. Um, I'm 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 secretly working on a piece of fiction which is uh, a bit alien to me but it's really it's rooted in this concept of what would it be like to feel with and to care to be careful in oh. our in our relationships and in our movement in this world um yeah yeah and it's it, it doesn't have to be a completely different world it can be the same world it just takes a shift in how we um how we i think live within ourselves and and move in relationship to those around us yeah totally and, live within ourselves and i'm i'm um yes that is the world that i am um endeavoring to to midwife into being beyond the 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 span of my own lifetime and i'm so grateful to um to have you with me in my life on, on my life's path in that process. And I'm also so grateful to have you here on this first inaugural episode of the living in a time of dying podcast. Um, I just, before we close, I just wanted to um, ask if you want to share for the listeners anywhere where they can find your work or support your work. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So right now, uh, the best place to find my work is on my Kofi page, uh, which is 
ko-fi.com slash Che Broadnats. That's my name. I'm sure it'll be show notes, so I don't have to spell that out for you. Um, that's where you can find my most recent stuff, which is going to be a lot of writing. Um, I'm finishing up a long-term project. Uh, finishing was not the right term. I'm working <laughs> on a long-term project. Uh, I might, I might write about that there, you know, uh, but other stuff, um, or if you're interested in checking out some of my older stuff, there's always chebroadnax.com, which is from like an entire lifetime and career ago. Uh, you can it's also... It's all part of it. It's all part of it. Just time is snow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lie. Um, you can also find me on a couple of episodes of The Celluloid Mirror, which is a podcast by filmmakers Nicole Solomon and Sean Mannion of Four Mile Circus. Thank you so much, Che, and thank you to our listeners. We'll be with you next time. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us in this episode of the Living in a Time of Dying podcast. If you are moved by the material discussed here, you can read or listen to more in the eponymous book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope, coming soon both in print and audio from booksellers everywhere. And if you want to hear more, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts in order to be updated when new episodes drop. You can also find out more about my work at soulmentor.org. Until next time, remember, you are an enfoldment of the universe, showing care to itself. Everything is God. Live well die easy. In Love and Rage, I'm your host, Megan Elizabeth Tauk. Take care and be well. <laughs> <laughs>